Welcome to Physicians Off the Beaten Path, a podcast where we have set out to bust the myth that physicians can't venture outside the traditional clinical and research career paths. My name's Shad, I'm a physician and a Harvard MBA and a co-founder of a digital therapeutic startup called Sky Therapeutics. And my name is Alex, I qualified as an MD in Syria before studying an MBA, computer science PhD, and a master's of bioengineering at Harvard, Stanford, and Oxford. And now I'm building Sky Therapeutics with Shad. Our guest today is Jasmine Brown. Jasmine is a medical student at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Jasmine completed a Bachelor of Art in Neuroscience at Washington University in St. Louis, then a Master's of Philosophy in the History of Science, Medicine, and Technology at the University of Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. Jasmine has been involved in advocacy work for many years. While in college at WashU, she founded the Minority Association of Rising Scientists and served as its president working to provide minority students with resources to get involved in research, as well as a community to support them along the way. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Physicians Off the Beaten Path. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Alex mentioned that he knew you and that your book was coming out. Actually, I've been hearing about it for months now. And so uh, finally, finally, we got a chance to sit down and, and chat about your journey and about the book. First of all, congratulations. That's a huge deal. So we're excited to dig into it. This is a question we ask all of our guests. It's sort of the first question. It's again, a pleasure to have you on on the show. And we're very excited to explore your story today. And I want to say congratulations on receiving the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Community Involvement Award to celebrate the launch of your book a few days ago. So Jasmine, to put things into perspective for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your path to medical school? And what was the path to authoring and launching Twice as Hard? Yeah, so my path to medical school actually started in high school. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in in college. And I started to think about psychology because I was interested in understanding why we are the way that we are. So I did some online psychology classes while I was in high school to see if that's what I would really like. One professor introduced neuroscience as this marriage between psychology and biology, and I always enjoy my science classes, so this seemed like the perfect merger for me. And then as I got more in-depth into neuroscience. I really liked it and felt like, well, if I'm going to do neuroscience, I like to help people. Maybe I'll become a doctor. So that was where I started to think about medicine. In terms of this book, as I got deeper into my interest in neuroscience, I did a lot of biomedical research throughout undergrad and personally experienced some prev prejudice and also had other friends of color, primarily Black and Latinx, who had other experiences of discrimination or microaggressions in the lab. And so I started to get involved in advocacy within that space while in, high, while in college, created this group, Minority Association of Rising Scientists, and then just wanted to understand where this was coming from. And so the, when I got the Rhodes Scholarship, learned that there was this master's degree in history of science, medicine, and technology, and I felt that that would be the great opportunity for me to try to understand what happened in history to lead to what we experience today. 
decided to focus on Black women because as I was looking into the literature, I realized that there was very limited literature looking specifically on the experience of Black women physicians. A lot of literature on Black physicians or women physicians focused on Black men and white women. So that was a perspective that was missing. And as I delved deeper into my master's degree, I became more convicted that these stories needed to be told more broadly, not just within the walls of Oxford University, and decided that writing a book was the best way to do that. So that's what I did. Yeah, I absolutely love that arc. And what's interesting here, Jasmine, like a lot of our guests, you know, you took inspiration from your personal experience. It was obviously a terrible and unfortunate personal experience and the personal experiences of your friends and channeled that for something sort of inspiring and amazing. And and, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about next. And there was some involvement of sort of the academic background as well that you studied at Oxford University. And I know Alex, who was your classmate and the same uh, Rhodes class, We'll, we'll sort of delve into that experience a little bit more. You know, I always say that becoming a clinician is hard enough, but dealing with additional barriers that often disproportionately affect, you know, women and, and minorities, people of color can make it even harder. You've obviously been deeply passionate about helping others overcome their barriers as well. And this book is a continuation of that journey. And so let's talk a little bit more about that book granularly. Which audience did you particularly have in mind when you wrote the book? And can you share a few of your most important takeaways while researching and writing for the book, including perhaps an actionable step that those in our audience can take right now to be good allies to those who may need help? Yeah, so your first question, the audience I was trying to reach. I had two major goals for the book. First, to make these stories more well-known with the hopes of inspiring young people who have identities that are typically not represented within medicine so that they would be inspired to become physicians if that was what they felt called to do. And then the other audience that I was hoping to reach was the medical community so that there are a lot of people within medicine who don't have those identities who would like to address the problems within medicine, the racism and sexism that still persists. But it's hard to know where it comes from and it can feel like this arduous task. So by identifying some of the key barriers that were created throughout history and that affect us today. My hope is that through those advocates within the medical field, they would have more of a target on action steps to address these disparities and discrimination that exists. What was the second question you asked? (laughs) Sorry, I tacked on a bunch of questions. Identifying sort of some of the root cause issues and, and action steps obviously are incredibly, incredibly important. I'd love to learn what were, you know, three or four major, I'm sure there's more, but sort of major takeaways uh, when you were researching the book. If you could share some of that content, that would be helpful for us. And if you could liaise that into, you know, an actionable step, because you talked about how important action steps are. What's something relatively concrete that we in medicine or those of us who were in clinical medicine can do to be good allies to individuals who may be, you know, struggling or who may need help because of these disproportionate barriers? The biggest thing that I, I learned from the women in these book, this book was 
how resilient they were, how persistent they were towards reaching their goal, despite many people trying to get in the way of that. I think that one of the other trends that I saw within the book was how important representation is. So one story, for example, is Dr. Edith Irby Jones. She was the first Black person to attend a medical school, to attend a racially integrated medical school in the South. And while she was in medical school, she went to a historically Black college in Arkansas, did basically a career panel. And then Jocelyn Elders, who was a student at that college, saw Edith and was so inspired. Going into college, she had this aspiration of becoming a Dillard sales clerk because her parents were sharecroppers. It wasn't a reliable income, and she felt like if she worked within this industry, she would have better socioeconomic standing. But when she met Edith, this was actually the first time she had met a physician. And because she looked like her, she could see herself in her. And so then she decided that instead of becoming a Dillard sales clerk, she was going to become a doctor. And not only did she become a doctor, she became the first Black person and the second woman to be the Surgeon General of the U.S. So just that shows how important that representation is. So I think within the medical space, we can do a better job of uplifting those stories, of uplifting that legacy. Within my, towards the end of the book, I talk about how I walk through the halls and all the portraits I see are of white men. And it's funny, I was I was seeing that today, so I, I came off of work and I was actually admiring this painting more for the artistic craft, but that's a separate thing. But it, it was the same thing. It was it was all white men. And whether it be through the um, images that we uphold within the institution or by the people that we put in front of the students, by the stories that we tell in terms of the history that we teach our students, that is one way that we can help to increase diversity by just showing that they're not the first and that there is this path that exists for them to succeed. Um, Another action step for allies, a lot of the women, there was various instances where they had, were directly targets of microaggression and macroaggression. And, And this definitely still exists today. Um, I remember before going into my clerkship year, there were discussions among my classmates on what do you do if a patient says something racist to a medical student of color? And I think that's a really difficult thing to address, especially as another medical student. But I think as physicians, whether it be residents or attendings who are in more senior positions within the hospital, seeing that type of incident among their colleagues, something they can do is just speak up, say that this is not okay. We don't allow this type of treatment for our employees. Um, And that can go a long way in making the person who is a target of that discrimination feel less alone 
and feel more supported by their community. I think that helps with retention within the medical space, which is also really important. Yeah, thank you, Jasmine. Really insightful and some great action steps because there's obviously a ton of good-willed people and good-intentioned people in, in clinical medicine, but oftentimes, you know, they may not know where to start, even if they're aware of some of the problems, maybe not the intricacies, but generally aware of the problem, they just don't know where to start. So oftentimes nothing gets done or very little gets done. And so the burden obviously shouldn't just be on individuals who are, you know, disproportionately victimized to stand up for these things, but it should be on the, the rest of society as well to help people along. And you sort of point out credibly well how important awareness is. Alex, I remember, always mentioned that after he came from Syria, uh, before he came to the UK, he didn't even know doctors could be bankers or doctors could be consultants or doctors could write a book because, you know, his mental model of doctor where individuals who worked inside the hospital, again, doing important work, but that's just sort of what he knew. And I'm thinking back to our first guest, Dan Gebremedine, who's an MD, MBA and actually an HMS, HBS grad. I was asking him why he got an MD, MBA back in the day. He's not that he's not that old, but, you know, back like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there weren't that many MD, MBAs. Now there's a lot more. And he said, you know, it was something fortuitous. He attended a panel that he wasn't even going to go to. And he saw one MD, MBA, probably one of the first ones in the country. And he got inspired by that interaction. It's those little things that can have butterfly effects and, and alter the course of someone's life. And Dan ended up, you know, graduating MD, MBA and is now a partner at Flair Capital, a big, you know, venture capital fund. But yeah, this has been a really, really great conversation so far. I know we have a lot more to chat about, and so I'll pass it on to Alex to continue the discussion. Alex, over to you. Great. Thank you, Shad. And uh, thank you, Jasmine, for the conversation. Really enjoying it so far. And just reflecting on all the points that you've mentioned, Jasmine, I love how the question of why has driven a lot of your academic work and professional choices. So you've mentioned that when you were an undergrad doing research, you've noticed these microaggressions, you've noticed this discrimination, you've asked the question of why, and that question has driven a lot of the work that you've done in Oxford, understanding kind of the history of black female physicians. And it has guided your kind of future uh, career steps, such as deciding to become an author and, and kind of sharing twice as hard with the world. So I love how kind of that common thread of why has driven a lot of the decisions that you've made. That's incredible. So Jasmine, before medical school, you know, you spent two years uh, studying for a master's of philosophy in the history of medicine as a Rhodes Scholar in the UK, as you've mentioned. And I want to double click on that experience. So how did this experience shape your perspective of medical school and your thoughts about your future career as a medical doctor? And did it provide you with exposure to career trajectories, ideas that you wouldn't have had exposure to otherwise? Yeah, my experience at Oxford was extremely formative. Like I can think back to the times when you and I would meet up and we would be thinking about what do we want our careers to look like? We both have this entrepreneurial spirit, like how do we want to integrate this into our career? And similarly with the book, I don't think I would have gone after writing a book at 25 when I first really started writing it if I hadn't seen other Rhodes Scholars writing books. And so that also goes back to what you mentioned, Chad, of 
just seeing other examples of people doing great things, how that can be the spark of inspiration and allow people to flourish in ways that they had the potential to achieve, but they might not have decided to do that if they didn't see this vision. Um, yeah, so Oxford was amazing. It, it gave me that space to even go out of my comfort zone because I did neuroscience in undergrad. I thought of myself as a scientist, but I knew that on a Rhodes scholarship, I could basically study what I wanted to study and that med schools wouldn't um, ding me for doing a history degree. But then that ended up allowing me to have this space, this incubator, if you will, um, for me to develop into the more dynamic person that I am, someone that's not just a scientist or a future physician, but someone who has many passions and like recognizing that there are various ways for me to pursue that. So yeah, I definitely see my career. I, I still don't know fully what it will be. Um, but I see it as being more than just being in the hospital. Yeah, that's incredible, Jasmine. And I love the reference to entrepreneurship and, and incubators. So, but yeah, I honestly think a lot of the conversations that I've had back in my time in the UK, whether it's our conversations about kind of what we want our future careers to be or conversations with broader Rhodes class and my other colleagues there have shaped so much of who I am today. So I really appreciate that you've mentioned that. So I'm moving to my second question about mentorship and role models. You know, your book recites the stories of inspirational Black women who trailblazed medical careers in the 19th century at a time when, frankly, doctors were expected to be exclusively white and male. You know, they were pioneers who paved the path for many female physicians after, and their stories, as you've mentioned, must have provided motivation to many aspiring female physicians and physicians of color. So, you know, I'm really curious, for you personally, was there a particular mentor or a role model that inspired you to pursue your own path as a medical doctor and to write the book? And if so, how did that inspiration interplay? Yeah, so actually... Part of the reason why I felt like it was so important to get these stories out into the world is because I had never met a Black woman physician until I did this research. Despite being pre-med, shadowing in different hospitals, completing my entire undergraduate degree and preparing to apply to medical school, I still had not met physicians who share my identity in that way. My role models for my career within STEM would be my parents, actually. They are not physicians. I'll be the first person in my family to be a physician, but they're engineers. And so I think that passion for discovery, for fixing things came from them. And then for me, I decided I, I prefer to solve problems and try to find solutions within the health space instead of the technology and engineering space. But, but that's really how I got started within medicine. And that the reason for writing the book was because I didn't have that many mentors who actually were in the medical space. Thank you, Jasmine, for sharing. And that is very powerful because... You know, I imagine that these stories will provide such strong inspiration to many future medical doctors and kind of aspiring students. And really, it is about democratizing access to role models, right? 
as Chad mentioned, when I was back in Syria, I didn't know that a physician can do anything than practice medicine because I simply, I wasn't aware of these examples. And really awareness is a big part of the solution. There's so many other elements to address, such as the systemic inequality and, and all of these different components. But being aware that someone from a similar background, such as you, can do uh, what you want to do in the future is incredibly powerful. So I really appreciate that you've written the book, and I think it's incredible. So Jasmine, to finish us off today, how can our audience you know, get in touch with you and, and follow your work? They can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is my name, Jasmine Brown plus author. So Jasmine Brown author. My Twitter is Jasmine B underscore author. And then they could also just go to my website, which is jasminebrownauthor.com. Perfect. That's amazing. Jasmine, it's been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure Shad did as well. So thank you for joining us. And yeah, I'm sure the audience would love it. Thanks so much for having me. Shad, that was a great conversation with Jasmine. I really enjoyed it. And a lot of takeaways there. Mine is a little bit quick, but I think it goes back to the point that Jasmine mentioned that even when she was in undergrad or when she was uh, doing pre-medicine and shadowing uh, physicians in the hospital, she was not aware of any uh, role model Black female physicians. And I think just given the importance of role models, sometimes it's incumbent on us to do the research and uh, to ask around our network whether there is someone of our own background who did something that we're interested or who pursued the path that we're interested in pursuing, even if we're not aware of any such examples. I think in the same way that, you know, Jasmine asked the question of why, and that question has driven a lot of her academic work. So I guess my point is just around our own responsibility uh, towards asking questions and do, doing the research to identify individuals who came from similar backgrounds and pursued career path that we want to pursue in the future, because likely those individuals exist. Yeah, great takeaway, Alex. I think my takeaway is trying to wrap my head around how individuals are able to overcome systemic barriers that are erected against them. It's a very nuanced discussion, and I'm by no means an expert, but I just wanted to reflect on a couple of things that Jasmine said, and also a couple of things that a couple of pieces of research I've run into previously. Jasmine sort of mentioned that there's a huge premium on resiliency when she was researching all the amazing you know, women who've had to... You know, know, work twice as hard to get to where they are. He said resiliency was a common thread, d despite many people trying to get in the way of their accomplishments. Another thing that, you know, I, I thought about recently is some of the research that Tony Mayo, who was one of my professors at the Harvard Business School, he did some research in this domain. And he said that when you look at minority executives, uh, when you look at the individuals who really, really rise to the top, um, having individuals in the so-called in-group, uh, so not the minority group, but the in-group, the majority group, vouching for people in the out-group, as he sort of defines it, in the minority group, was a very big predictor of success. And, and this really shows the importance of allyship. I think uh, as allies, being aware of the problem is important, but that's only the first step. 
being, uh, but taking the time to actively uh, work to democratize access by supporting those who may be left behind is important as well. And so uh, there is a multifaceted solution here, right? Obviously, individuals, there's an awareness problem, individuals who have barriers erected against them tend to be incredibly resilient and that resiliency helps them partially you know get over those barriers but there's also an importance of allyship of people who may be in positions of power or privilege who take the time to actually invest and support individuals who may be facing disproportionate barriers so all of these and i'm sure a lot more are needed to uh, ensure as we said during the podcast uh, democratization of access and opportunities so those are my takeaways for this this episode and it was a great conversation for our audience remember to follow us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter at potbp podcast and to catch our latest episodes and podcasts on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and amazon music and to get in touch with us you can always email us at physicians off the beaten path at gmail.com or visit our website at potbppodcast.com see you guys next time